cinema we're continuing our uh, bout of 2021 quick hit retrospective at genre films of uh, the last year with a film we've been wanting to talk about for quite a while it's a, a british psychological horror film and it's called censor let's hear a clip this depiction is dangerous come on ain't it i'm cutting it butchery sadism murder wave of depraved and corrupt horror video confusing fiction with reality doug smart producer ident investment films maybe Enid could watch my latest frederick north submission wanted a woman's eye on this film There's this actress. I've got this feeling that it's Nina. My sister. You know, if someone did take her, then there's still out there. You've never been clear on exactly what you remember. You'd be surprised what the human brain can edit out when it can't handle the truth. Someone's losing the plot. I was wondering if you had anything else on this actress. What's gonna happen to her? That's top secret. People think that I create horror. Horror is already out there. In all of us. Welcome to Sorted Cinema. My name is Simon Howell. I'm joined by Ricky D. What's up, Simon? I love, love the shorter episodes. Shorter intro, shorter review, less time for me to edit, and it seems like we review better movies in these mini-episodes. <laughs> better for you, better for me, better for us, hopefully better for listeners too. Um, so uh, this is a film you've been uh, wanting to talk about for a while, um, and uh, I know that we have always loved to talk about British contemporary British horror on this show. I feel like there's always interesting stuff coming out of Britain. Anyway, uh, so Ricky, tell us tell us a bit, a bit about Censor. Set it up for, for the viewers at home. What kind of experience should they be expecting here? Well, this is, like you said, it's a psychological horror film. It's straight out of the UK. It's, I think, fantastic. And it follows um, this lady who works as a censor. So her job is basically watch really, really nasty horror films and decide if there are certain scenes or camera shots that should be cut and so it takes place in the 80s and it's all about the era of the video nasties and so our main actress basically is responsible for making a decision early on in the film in which she decides to not make a cut to a specific horror film and it turns out that someone decided to imitate the crime in that horror film and commit the crime in real life and actually murder someone. And so therefore the media, the government, the public in general decides to point fingers and blame them, the specific uh, censor company. I'm not exactly sure what the proper terminology is that they are responsible for not properly editing and censoring this specific movie that led to someone 
copying a crime in real life. That's basically the setup for the start of the film, but there's a lot more to it. She, she works for the British Film Board. Essentially, if you know about the MPAA in the States or, you know, the, the equivalent of the CRTC in Canada. She would be the equivalent but... of she would be the equivalent of Mary Whitehouse, but I'm not entirely sure what the actual um, proper name is for the actual board here in the movie. Yeah, it's the British Board of Film Classification is what it's called. I guess BBFC. Uh, so yes, they're 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 referencing a, a very real historical era. We get footage of Mar- of uh, good old Margaret Thatcher um, in uh, in in an interstitial segment. Um, and if any of this, by the way, uh, sounds like it might evoke the uh, meta antics of a movie like a *Barbarian Sound Studio* by Peter Strickland, um, I think that's a pretty obvious point of comparison for this. But I think the thing that really that I really dug about this movie is that it constantly kept me uh, totally... uh, I I found the movie elusive in a really fun way, in the sense that from act to act, I really didn't know what was was going... Where it was headed in terms of tone, in terms of um, what sort of... um, What sort of uh, horror subgenres it was going to be toying with, what aesthetics it was going to be toying with. And I also didn't know... You know, to what extent is this going to be uh, a meta commentary about horror films more than it is a horror film, uh, which is sort of has been a, a trend in itself. And I think the, the movie ends up doing a really good job kind of doing both uh, without necessarily feeling like it has anything too specific um, on its mind in terms of a, an obvious message about censorship or about horror films. I think it's more interested in, in play. It's it's it, to me the movie feels very playful, especially the the last uh, as it goes on, it feels increasingly playful, um, and I think it 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 sort of toys with the idea that films and art can channel and contain real darkness and and do sort of have within them a, a charge for a really primal response, um, and that we shouldn't ignore that, um, but also while at the same time acknowledging that you know horror movies are fun and like. You know, it, it's there is something enjoyable about channeling that darkness for the sake of art, and I think the movie is is so enjoyable and so canny in the way that it kind of it folds in different aesthetics for different reasons. Um, but ultimately, like my my overall feeling after being kind of unsure for the first couple of acts of how I was going to end up feeling about it was ultimately just uh, finding it to be uh, really entertaining and not too ponderous, uh, not too ponderous about its themes and not too precious. Yeah, the act of censorship does cut deep into the heart of the movie. Like, it uses it as a backdrop, the 80s, the widespread distribution of horror films, exploitation films on home video, the censor board, the video nasties, etc., etc. But for me, the film is partly about censorship in that era, but it's really about the power of editing and creating an experience for better or for worse by cutting images out of, in this case, like a movie and or in your real life. It's really a movie about memory and selective memory and trauma. So how sometimes people like we as people suppress memories and edit moments of our life or purposely forget or subconsciously forget memories, specifically in traumatic experiences in our life in the past. You know what I mean? So it's like it's a it's a movie about the grieving process and it's about how deep line emotional trauma can cloud one's judgment one's memory one's perception one's like even like the way we we look back on our life like or have you ever had a conversation with someone 
or a group of people and everyone remembers a specific event in different ways and it's like whose memory is actually real who's actually accurate like we all remember this specific event like we all went to blah 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 and we all remember something happening but we all remember in different ways and so to me it touches on how sometimes life also imitates art because in the movie like i said there is a crime that is committed and it's the crime is copying a crime that's committed on cinema but essentially i think it's really about dealing with a traumatic experience that happened in your past and how sometimes people bury these memories in order to cope and i don't really want to give away too much because i don't want to spoil the movie for anyone who hasn't watched it but there's a lot of twists and turns and i think it has an incredible ending and you're right i wasn't really sold on the movie for like the first 35 minutes and i rewatched it today and not much happens within the first 40 minutes it takes about 40 minutes for something big to happen I mean, I don't so much mind that it starts out deliberately, and I do like, um, I love the setting of the BBFC. I like that it's all kind of lit in red for some reason. Like, that, that actually the place that looks the most like a horror set is actually the, the just the office where they edit horror films, which I think is a nice touch. Um, overall, like, the movie works for me better as sort of a, an extended meditation, if, if I can say that or an extended riff on, like, the relationship between art and trauma and life more generally. When it starts to get more specific about um, our protagonist, who is uh, played by a, a, a really great uh, actor named uh, Neve Algar, she's really, really good here. Um, you know, th- th- when it gets to the stuff about her specific backstory, and we literally have a character saying to her, you know, the brain is powerful, it can edit stuff. That's when I started to think, okay, like the movie is developing a thesis and it's going to be a little bit too like on the nose about it. But I, then, but then, you know, with, with the way it just kind of like enjoyably goes off the rails in that last half hour, uh, that would, that wasn't a concern at all. You know, what's funny is I, I read a few reviews and the reviews all had sort of like, what do you call it? The positive rating system on Rotten Tomatoes, like the, the red instead of the green, I forget which, the red tomato. <laughs> fresh. Thank you. They had the fresh score. And yet I went to go read the reviews and it was like three critics and I can't really remember who they were. I think one of them was uh, A.A. Dowd from the AV Club. Anyhow, so the three critics were all sort of, um, you know, critiquing the film. And one of their major complaints was that the film didn't really have much to say or wasn't very critical on the actual era, the idea of censorship. Uh, etc and i was like i kind of dug that like i didn't want like you said i didn't want a preachy film i didn't need a film to tell us what's wrong with censorship especially when it comes to the arts and like i yeah i mean anyone sitting down to watch an independent horror film is presumably anti-censorship for in, in you know the vast majority of cases um and uh and yeah like the, the people who made it i think are obviously I, I, in fact, I think what what the, the film is 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 I think it is saying something in the sense that like I think the film has a point to make about there in this film you know there is a troubling relationship between um, you know art that is inspired by real events and then real real life events that are inspired by art and I think it is I think it's saying you know these things really do happen and it really is troubling uh, but it you know I, I think it manages to fold that in while also you know clearly staying firmly on the side of, you know, recognizing that horror movies are silly and fun. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think 
the one character, the filmmaker in a movie, pretty much summarizes that whole point in one line where he says, people think I create horror. Horror is already out there. It's in you. It's mm-hmm. in everyone. Yeah. And again, coming perilously close to just like underlining the themes with a, with a, with a felt tip pen. But in this case, again, because it sort of ends up landing so much in the zone of, of experimentation and play, like where we start to get, you know, different aspect ratios and different types of, uh, different types of film being used. Um, that's when the movie really starts taking off at, for, for me, at least when it starts, you know, jumping between aesthetics. Yeah. I still do think it has a good script. Like, there isn't much dialogue. It's a very moody film, which we'll talk about shortly. But, you know, the idea of them having to censor a movie and not doing a good enough job censoring the movie, the movie within the movie is called Deranged. And so that is when there is a killer who goes out and, like I said, commits a crime. And then you have this main character who has this backstory in which her sister disappeared years back. And it's still a cold case. They're not entirely sure if the sister is alive or dead. They don't know what happened to the sister. We think that she might know what happened to the sister. But like I said, she has decided to erase specific memories. And so she feels like her sister is still alive. The parents want to just go on with their life and just kind of like accept the fact that they're never going to see the daughter again and she's most likely dead. And so there is this like interesting backstory and there is this great character played by the great Michael Smiley who does show up. He plays Doug Smart, who's the film producer. There's a lot of interesting characters. There's the film director, Frederick North, who we get to meet towards the end of the film. And the main character, Enid, she is an unreliable narrator because we're not entirely sure if what we are seeing is real or not is it in her mind is it not and i don't know i kind of also like how the movie has like these inside jokes and pokes fun of at those like movies released in the 80s that were part of like the video nasties and you know like little like little jokes like um i forget what the actual line is but i like the name of the movie is called don't go in the church one of the movies that she needs to watch and censor and she cracks a joke. She's like, well, there's not very many places left to go because there was all these movies come, coming out back in the day, like don't go in the woods, don't go in the church, don't go in the house, don't go into whatever, right? When she sees a specific movie, don't go in the church, there's an actress in the movie in like the opening scene, I think. It's like a scene in which like the character gets like pretty much slashed to death and she's murdered on screen and she's watching this actor, this actor get murdered. And it just so happens that the actor resembles her sister who went missing like years back. And so she becomes obsessed with this movie and this filmmaker because she thinks that there could be a connection between this filmmaker, the director, his movies and her sister that went missing. Could this actor in the movie actually be her sister? Uh, yeah, this whole movie is is also, like many psychological horror films uh, recently, a great advertisement for cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, because that's cl- clearly that the the uh, the protagonist misdirected her angst there. Um, the uh, I could have actually gone for more of the uh, in the early scenes, we get some stuff with her with her and her coworkers, and she has this rep as being the person who generally sides on the side of of. Uh, of censoring or shelving a film. Um, and I, I like the, the sort of nitty, the sort of nitty gritty discussions they have with these fake, uh, these, you know, these, these fake video nasties that they review of like, Oh, well that effect isn't like realistic enough for us to cut or is it obviously goofy? 
um, and stuff like that. I found really, really fun, a, a really fun addition. So you mentioned the look and I think we should take a few minutes to just talk about how good this movie looks, especially considering it's a low budget horror film. First time feature also. I love the look of the film because you mentioned how she changes the director decides to change the aspect ratios. And what I like is how it's not just used as a way to make the movie look cooler, but when she actually decides to change the aspect ratios, it distorts the truth and distorts the way the main character sees things, which therefore thematically links to her mind and what she's thinking and how she's very confused and how we're not entirely sure what's real and what's not. So the switching between aspect ratios helps blur the line between reality and nightmare. And so that's what I love about it. And in terms of the color palette, they do use a lot of like gels, a lot of color filters. At times it does look like a Jallo film. I've read a lot of reviews in which people have called this a Jallo film. Maybe, maybe like a modern day Jallo film in some sense. I don't know if I agree. It doesn't matter. Um, at times the look though uses like these neon hues and lots of static and cigarette burns and just like a lot of cool, subtle voyeuristic shots. And I just dig the compositions, the camera work and the lighting. It, it is a really kick-ass looking film. And I do think thematically and, and the way it's styled, a great double feature would be watching Censor and Peter Strickland's Barbarian Sound Studio. I will say, um, talking about this film as a giallo is interesting. I think, I would say the one aspect that it's lacking if it's gonna, if, if, if you're gonna talk about it as a giallo is um, sexuality which is kind of, it's kind of simmering under the surface in certain scenes. And there's certainly discussion of sexual violence in the video nasties themselves. Uh, but there's not a lot of like overt sexuality like you'd see in a giallo. Well, also in terms of like mystery, like there is a murder, but we don't really focus on a, on the murder. Like we don't follow a bunch of detectives who try to figure out who killed who. We don't even really know who died. It's just in the news. It's in the background. Yeah, no, and... the, the, the Giallo version of this story would go very differently. There would definitely be a cop involved. Yeah, to me, this is like a British horror film, which is what it is. Like it reminds me of classic British horror films and a lot of films that did come out in like the late 80s, early 90s, um, even like even dating all the way back to the seventies, but, but but, you know, we're, we're comparing it to a lot of stuff, but I think the strength of the film is that like it's balance of elements feels fairly unique. Like it did remind me of a few other films, but I do think that it has a, it has a sensibility that feels like kind of like of its own. And I'm like, I'm going to be extremely curious to see what, um, Uh, I'm going to be very curious to see what uh, Prano Bailey Bond uh, does next. It seems like this movie has done really well. So um, uh, hopefully it's uh, hopefully we'll see more from her uh, pretty soon. Yeah. I think what makes it feel like its own sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? It's own sort of like je ne sais quoi. Like it doesn't feel like just a, a pastiche. Like it feels like it's got its own personality. It's because I think it's a really cool mood piece. Like it's all about the atmosphere, the tone, the pacing, the sound design, the soundtrack, the visuals. It's, it, it's, it's like, it feels like an, a division of an auteur, like a, as cheesy as that sounds, it feels like this is her movie. And yes, it pays tribute to the golden age of video nasties. But like I said, it still feels like her, her thing, like her own kind of movie. Like in recent years. And when I say recent years, I'm dating back like at least 20 years, if not 30 
there hasn't really been horror films, except for maybe, once again, Barbarian Sound Studio, that are very similar to this movie. Well, I, 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 I would add also, like, as much as you were saying it pays tribute to this era, and I think that that's kind of true, but also, like, I think another thing that helps make this movie stand out is that its relationship to the era it's depicting is, like, kind of complicated. Like, like yeah, it's, it is kind of fun that, you know, there were these movies that, uh, that got made on the sly that, like, had to be hidden, and there was this whole era of censorship and these movies that now kind of have this cultural cachet. But at the same time, you know, as you and I well know from watching, you know, stuff from this era and just, you know, Z-grade genre movies at, at film festivals, like, some of these movies, like, a lot of these films really are don't have any artistic value and they really are just like horrible to watch <laughs> and i i like that the movie like kind of acknowledges that like, yeah some of these like really aren't aren't that aren't that great and don't necessarily have a lot of like pro-social content all of these other films like you're right like like this is a really really artsy well-made first-time feature i'm not sure what the budget is i don't know man it just looks so good like like for me, like a million dollars or two hundred fifty thousand dollars is still a lot of money. I know, I know, when it comes to making movies, it doesn't feel like a lot of money, but this movie looks really good, and I would say it actually looks better at times than some of the Hollywood blockbuster films. I mean, we reviewed uh, *Malignant* like last week, right? And like that movie doesn't look as good as this movie, and it has like a way better budget. And I like that movie. Like we raved about the movie, and we had a lot of fun with that movie. But it does not look as good as this movie. In fact, that movie looks like it was shot on digital. It looks like it was like shot and made on a computer. This movie looks like it was actually made on film, which it wasn't. At least I don't think so. But it looks like it was shot on like a good old fashioned like thirty five millimeter camera. The uh, yeah, it looks real good. Um, and I, I have to say that the in terms of being on a presumably a very small budget and um, successfully kind of fucking with your sense of reality. Uh, I, it, it also made me think of another contemporary genre movie called Come True, which we will also be talking about on one of these short episodes at some point. I love that movie. So there are two kill scenes in this film that I just absolutely love. I'm not going to get into too much detail because, again, I don't want to spoil the movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. But on our longer episodes, when we talk, we always talk about our favorite scenes, right? And I got to say the two kill scenes are by far my favorite scenes in this film. And I'm not entirely sure which one I like best, <laughs> but like the second kill scene, it looks like it was lifted out of like a cut scene from twin peaks. Fire walk with me takes place in the woods. <laughs> There's this like really creepy French sort of like serial killer dude. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like that whole entire, like, it's like, like I don't know, man, that scene I just, I had to watch it. Like I had to actually rewind it today and rewatch that scene. Cause I just love, love, love that scene. Um, the technical aspect that I wanted to mention before we wrap this up is uh, I really love that the hair and costume design on the, um, on our main character, especially as she sort of transitions into becoming herself kind of like the star of a horror film. Um, I think is just so on point throughout. And I just, I, I especially love her like, her like little her her hairdo at the end which i can't really say too much about but just the the the, the i don't know the the sort of like spider webby strands of like distraught hair just all over the place good stuff it's really good stuff so speaking of songs or music so i do like the sound design i'd like to give a shout out every single time we do one of these podcasts to whoever creates a sound design so in this case it's some dude named tim harrison and i just love 
how I'm talking about the sound design here. It's so eerie and it, it keeps you on your toes and it keeps you invested and watching. And it's not like, it's not sort of like a film where it, it builds up like suspense. You're at the edge of your seat type thing. And you're not, but it's still like, it, it does keep you on edge. And I also like the original score and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of, I mean, I guess I could try. It's Emil Levinus Farouche. So the composer uses like, and you're better at, you're you're more music minded than I am, but like the synthesizer sounds, which is very reminiscent of John Carpenter. So it has like a great score and also a great sound design. So, I mean, again, first time feature. So it's not like just a first time feature for, for like for the, the director, but maybe like just about everyone who worked on this movie from the person who composed the soundtrack to the DOP to, you know, maybe quite possibly the editor. So um i think that this is one of the best horror films of 2021 hands down i might even put it on my top 10 and i just wanted to ask did you notice that at the end of the movie they actually recreate the vhs cover art of one of the movies that the main character picks up early on in the movie so she picks up this like yeah oh my god you got to go back and watch it so early on in the movie she picks up this vhs cover right and the cover art features like this married couple and their daughter and they're in front of like this like house in the suburbs with like a white picket fence and it's all like bright and shiny they're wearing clothes like they just came out of like some like 50s like tv show so the end of the movie they actually recreate the cover art in that scene and i only noticed it on the second on the second viewing uh the things you notice on the second viewing folks don't sleep on that also, this movie is only one hour and 23 minutes long. Oh, yes. I, thank you for mentioning that. Everyone, I've said this before, keep your keep, keep your first features under 90 minutes and I will watch them every time. Well, most times. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention is, um, you know, I, I, I always like to spotlight uh, things I haven't seen before. And I have to say I love, um, there's at least one shot where we spend some time in the censor's office and... We, we do have a few scenes of the censors, you know, sitting around discussing what, discussing their work, but more demonstrative than that is, you know, there's these scenes of, uh, of our protagonist getting kind of weighed down by watching all this violence seemingly. And we kind of pan away from them watching the screen. And instead we just see the light emanating from the projector. And I love, love the shot where you see the light itself just become over become flooded with red because you know they're seeing yet another scene of carnage but you can only see it via the light from the projector and it is so fucking cool i love that by the way when we do our longer shows we always have a five questions and one of the questions is what is our favorite scene but i think i i think that if you ask me what my favorite camera shot is that would be the shot not my favorite scene. My favorite scene is still the murder, most likely the second murder that takes place in the cabin in the woods. But that is my favorite shot. It's incredible. Can I just quickly recommend some actual video nasty movies for anyone yeah, who maybe absolutely. has already seen censored and wants to watch some of the older movies? So I think you might agree with some of these choices. So I was thinking about this. There's like a lot. Like there's like about 80 plus like video nasty movies. Um, but I was thinking like the most obvious choices, if you haven't seen it, is Possession by uh, Andre Sulaski. Oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, that's maybe like the best. Uh, Evil Dead is maybe my favorite and maybe the second best. Um, so th those two to me are like must sees. If you can find the movie The Witch Who Came From the Sea, it's really hard to find. I would recommend that 
Fight for Your Life, also really hard to find. I would recommend that film. Dario Argento Tenebre was part of the Video Nasty series. I'm pretty sure you've seen The Driller Killer. Not recently. I feel like very long ago. I actually do not like that movie, but it's directed by Abel Ferreira, and I think it's like something that people should see if they uh, if they're in- interested in like video nasties. And Bay of Blood, you know, I'm a huge fan of Mario Bava, so Mario Bava to me is like the godfather of like horror. Bay of Blood was one of his movies that was part of the video nasty series. And if I had to name one more, I would probably go with a Lucio Fucci film. So most likely The Beyond. The Beyond, yeah. That'd be the obvious one. Get your asses to Shudder is all I have to say because a lot of those are on Shudder. Also, really quick. Okay, wait. I just got a few more to name off because there's a lot of good video nasties. I actually really love these movies. So I would say The House on the Left, Wes Craven. Inferno is one more Dario Argento film that was part of the video nasties. And The House by the Cemetery by Lucio Fucci. Anyway, that's about it from us. Uh, we'll be doing another one of these. We're also plotting a proper uh, long-form episode about uh, a little movie called The Matrix that you may have heard of. Anyway, uh, that's about it from us. Uh, Ricky, where can people find you in the podcast online? You can find the podcast over at SortedCinema.com. Basically, anything Sorted Cinema online is us. We are on YouTube. We are on Amazon. We are on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. SortedCinema.com. You'll find the archive for all of our episodes. And I'm on Twitter. And, of course, it's Sorted Cinema. Excellent. And uh, we'll be back before too long uh, with another one of these or with a proper length one. You'll just have to wait and see. Thank you all for listening.